I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And joining me this week is a voice many of you will know extremely well. It's Mr. Tom Merritt from Daily Tech News Show. Hey, Tom. Oh, hello, Nate. Uh, it's it's nice to be on this side of the mic. I, I enjoy listening every week, and now I get, you'll actually hear me when I talk back to you. Yeah, and I'll do you out of uh, what I know is your weekend podcast listening schedule, so apologies for that, but we are very, very grateful. Um, we are also uh, grateful to our patrons, including Neil Fisher, Mr. Shouty, Matthew Riley, Fraculus, Jennifer Sherry, and Sandy Shomer, um, and many more who are supporting us directly via Patreon. You can join them and get access to our full-length, ad-free episodes and our weekly sister show extra message by going to patreon.com forward slash uk tech let's jump into the news now ars technica reported this week that the uk is abandoning plans to try to force pornography websites to age verify their uk users or rather us UK internet users. Digital Secretary Nikki Morgan announced the shift in a Wednesday statement and said, quote, the government's commitment to protecting children online is unwavering. But of course they'd say that. However, she said, the government will now accomplish that goal through our proposed online harms regulatory scheme, uh, regime, sorry, but didn't elaborate on what those regu- on what those regulations would look like. Now, everybody saw this coming, right? It was, it was technically inept as a process to force websites outside of British jurisdiction to comply with a demand or assume that there wouldn't be widespread negative repercussions from forcing adults to register their identity against uh, a pornographic website's registration. I think there was also a political advantage to uh, to the screaming of "Think of the children" um, that within maybe the current Brexit climate is just it's just it's just made that naturally a little bit lower on the agenda. And then obviously there was the issue of what happens during a data breach, which would obviously happen at some point because it would be too large and too interesting a target. And we discover that the head of, I don't know, a large university or something gets his jolly watching interracial stuff. And maybe there's a senior minister being discovered that she loves a bit of old unyoung action. Who knows? But while all this is going on, children who wanted to access porn or young people who wanted to access porn would still just get it from a website that didn't have an age gate. And those who were stumbling on it accidentally would continue to do so via some risque social media or, you know, from trolls or or via uh, instant messaging apps or, or however they're accidentally finding this. So, in short, the age gate law, much, if I may say so, Tom, like my old primary teacher, um, who once forced me to do outdoor sports in my underwear when I forgot my PE kit and then shouted at me in front of the class for colouring a drawing of a giraffe blue, I'm glad it's dead. Um, and I thought you might like to get a, a word in edgeways here. What What is your perspective on the, all this? Are you as unsurprised as as I am? Uh, you know, I'm a little surprised that they just didn't clutch to its its dead uh, effectiveness all the way to the end. It's funny listening to this. Actually, literally takes me back to pruning a hedge because <laughs> okay. that's what I was doing the last time you and Ian talked about this. And I could just hear Ian's voice in my head talking about how useless this law is. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, 
good on them for for coming to their senses and realizing that this this was going to probably benefit some companies that were going to profit off of making the identity schemes it sounded like but otherwise like you say it wouldn't have done much to stop people you could just borrow somebody's identity card if you didn't want to go to a, a, an international site it was largely useless it sounded like yeah I mean I think one of the things that we that, that didn't really come up in in our previous discussions and I haven't seen much if any discussion about this online uh, over the last few months either has been that idea of of theft of identity cards or identity theft and in the same way that we used to have debates about not leaving your Wi-Fi open because people might just drive by the house and access something very unpleasant on your Wi-Fi or, or commit piracy or something on your connection and you know, going even back further to the buzz out loud days, talking about the idea of, well, an IP address is not a person, but right. the IP address is the same person as the account holder. Therefore, anything that goes through it must be the responsibility of the account holder. Therefore, anyone who does anything nefarious, it's always going to land on that account holder's door. The same could potentially have been true with this, if somebody's identity card or whatever it turned out to be was uh, was compromised, or regular identity theft was created to, you know, almost create fake profiles, we could have seen a whole different kind of revenge porn, where it's not actually the content that is controversial and causing embarrassment, but is the fact that somebody may set up a profile to look like you've been accessing some very very nefarious stuff and using that as blackmail as well. Obviously, that is very much uh, the the black mirror end of uh, the, the, the potential pitfalls <laughs> yeah, yeah. of this. Realistically, it would just have been uh, ineffective and probably prone to data breaches based on past experience. Um, but it but it really could have gone all kinds of ways. I think right now, what we just don't really understand is where the government is trying to push this. If it wants to still maintain that original mandate of, of stopping children uh, accessing inappropriate material, but it's not doing it in this super hardline way, then what is the solution? Because we, we are not new to the internet. We are not new to uh, challenging content and, and keeping it from, from kids. So like, would we not have had a solution by this point if one was actually technically feasible? Oh, I'm sorry, Nate, but didn't you hear? The solution is the proposed online harms regulatory regime. It's right there in black and white. There was a, a space in the in the written statement for, well, what are we going to do since we screamed it's all about protecting the children? We need to put something in here. And then someone wrote proposed online harms regulatory regime, and the problem is solved. There you go. The children are now protected. Great. Everyone can relax. I suppose it is a bit like, I, I don't know. I've had, somebody said to me the other day that there was an ad on either our this podcast because I have no idea what ads go in our show because it's nothing to do with me or, or another tech podcast about you know preparing for Brexit you know an ad from the government saying hey if you have a business you should prepare for Brexit and I was sitting there thinking well that is that is rich coming from the government <laughs> um, but it's also yeah oh it'll be fine we'll sort you it at a later you date do. yeah you know it'll be something like something like this I mean does, does this does this um, did this porn blocking law and, and, and things like did it make a splash in uh, at all in, in US media or was it kind of more in the the confines of you know as nerds 
I, yeah, I'm always a, a, a horrible person to, to sample for those kinds of questions because I pay way more attention to UK news than the average American. But I would have to say probably not. We, we talked about it on Daily Tech News Show because it was an interesting approach to this kind of regulatory question. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't think it got much attention over here. Mm. Okay, well, if you have an opinion on this, or of course, if you have the solution that the government is almost certainly begging for somebody to present to them on a silver platter, you can send it to us first so we can take the credit for it. That is hello at UKTechShow.com. It's time to talk tax, Tom. That's a lot of T's. Unintentional. Oh, goody. Yeah, I only realised that after I said it out loud. Uh, The word tax, of course, usually means for takes an expert to understand. That's what it stands for. But we're going to do our best to explain this. Facebook is under fire once again after its UK arms latest financial accounts filed this week, but covering the whole of uh, last year, showed it paid £28 million of tax in the UK, despite reporting sales of £1.6 billion during the year. And in a story from The Telegraph, there's a quote from Alex Coburn, who's chief executive officer at Tax Justice Network, who said... If Facebook had declared UK profits on sales at the same rate it does globally, it would have paid another £100 million in tax. Now, Facebook naturally always says it pays all the tax it legally owes. And I do believe that. And we're going to we're going to dip into that in a minute. But since the company's not here to speak for itself, it is also worth noting, I think, that again, according all, or rather all according to the the, uh, the accounts filed uh, this week, it spent three hundred and fifty six point two million pounds on R and D in the UK last year. It signed a lease for a huge new campus in Kings Cross and employs several thousand people in Britain. And it's certainly worth reiterating the fir- the first point that Facebook, like any other tech giants, Google, Amazon, Apple, etc. It's not being accused of anything illegal. It's being criticised for, uh, let's say, exploiting a law to pay as little tax as possible. So this is, I thought, a great uh, a great one for us to talk about a little bit, uh, Tom, because you know, and and for, and really for, for for us to to hear the perspective from both sides at the uh, the Atlantic, because this is not a new topic as such. It seems to happen like clockwork every year whenever you know these sorts of accounts come out. Um, and the big question that I hear in US media and US podcasts is always that, you know, Europe is very, very quick to, to legislate. So this kind of story doesn't play too high on the rage scale since it's not the US. Uh, people are more excited about yelling at Mark Zuckerberg about political speech and data leaks and hacks and all of that sort of thing. This tends to be a, and also you do that kind of thing if it's brought up at all in the in the general conversation here about Facebook. Myself, personally, I look at this and I, I always look at these stories and I think, well, okay, the rational response should be, if it's not illegal, then why are you upset about it? Change your law. Change your law to make this sort of thing illegal. If that's But what happens is people realize, well, getting a law changed takes years and a lot of effort and might not happen. So it's better to just shame a company publicly uh, into changing their practice. 
and and I feel like that's that's usually the impression I get from these is they're they're trying to just sort of use public pressure to get a company to do something against its own interests. I mean, if if you or I had a law that said, hey, you can pay this much tax or you can pay this much less tax and they're both legal, which would you choose? Well, you'd choose the one that, that causes you to pay less tax. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that the ultimate solution to this sort of thing would be to change the legislation so that you prevent them from from exploiting these loopholes. Uh, but I also understand that companies have a lot of lobbying power and can can make it hard to change those laws. And, and so this may be a more practical way to try to get a Facebook to change its tax practices. I don't ever look at this as Facebook is an American company being punished by the Europeans because Facebook I mean, sure, it's based here, but Facebook is a global company. It's a global force, and and it has problems with every country on Earth, practically. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the number of Facebook users, the vast majority of those are outside of the US. You know, it's it's over 2 billion people, oh, yeah. you, you know, using using Facebook. And there is, what, 380 million people in the US, something like that? Um, mm-hmm. some, along Roughly, the, yeah, somewhere around that. Along those lines, it's, it's under 400 million. So, I, you know, I, I, I would agree. I mean, we have had talk of the introduction of a what what our government calls the digital services tax i think that was talked about in the summer and that's that is something that will apply to social media platforms to search engines and i and think to i mean it's a broad definition of what digital services actually are but i think it will be like marketplace things maybe even things like ebay and the idea is that um any money that it generates from from UK users will have a separate tax applied to it at the rate of about two percent, I think it was. And this similar is similar to what France is doing, right? Exactly. Is exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, we're just a bit later. France likes to tax things faster than us, apparently. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, and so and, and some people remain critical of that, and 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 you know, it's been approached a little bit from the perspective of okay, well, this is all about money, but actually, what about online harms? What about accountability? What about regulation? What about a right of appeal? You know, like we have with with the free press, we have a central regulator we can go to to complain and that sets standards and things like that. Um, and so there is a little bit of debate about whether the whether the mission is slightly misaligned more towards are we getting enough money out of these companies versus are we uh, are we protecting society from the impact that all of the companies are having? And I don't think anyone's really answered that debate quite enough yet. And we're still trying to work out those kinks. But in the meantime, everyone likes to get angry when they see people making a lot of money and apparently not paying enough tax. Well, and I think that has that has a lot to do with this. It, it it's very similar to what's going on inside the U.S., where where Facebook is being pulled and, and Google and and Amazon as well, and even Apple being pulled in front of Congress because that's a way to win points with your electorate, not because you particularly think these companies are any worse than other companies that are doing similar things, just in different industries. It's not like Facebook is the only company that is reporting its sales through a different headquarters than where the sales are are done because that's legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that. Facebook uh, wins you points with your electorate when you criticize them and you go after them because they're perceived as a big money grubbing company. Uh, and and especially outside the United States, they're seen as a big American money grubbing company. Uh, and and that that's going to win you points. If nothing else, it's a good uh, it's a good topic to bash around 
transatlantically. But uh, it certainly makes sense if a company is is making good use of your public infrastructure that they should contribute their taxes in a proportion to that, right? Yeah. Well, Gizmodo wrote this week that high street camera chain Jessup's, which went bust actually, Tom, you may not know this, uh, about six six years ago or so, but managed to avoid being wiped out um, by uh, by selling some of its assets to a guy called Peter Jones, who is on Dragon's Den in the UK. I don't know if you've seen that program. Yeah, no, we we have a similar version of it here, but yeah, I've even seen the Dragon's Den version. Okay, um, he he bought it, but uh, now it's preparing to declare itself bankrupt again. Gizmodo writes and begin a process that could see some of its forty six remaining outlets closed for good. Uh, in a separate report that I saw, Sky News wrote that if uh, an administ- you know administration is confirmed, then Peter Jones is expected to uh, to seek to agree a ca- the kind of process uh, that you would need with creditors that would end up leaving the business intact, but stores would close, rents would cut. We know that, uh, sorry, rents would be cut. We know that Jessup's employs about 500 people in total, but we don't actually know at this point how many jobs uh, are at risk from this kind of uh, restructuring. And that, again, that's according to Sky. Now, there, there may well be a lot of internal factors at play. Maybe Jessup's is just horribly run, um, but it's not the, it, it's basically just the latest in a, a long run of announced or, or actually completed bankruptcies for the UK's high street. There was also a government report earlier this year that um, the internet retailers like Amazon uh, and ASOS and Boohoo.com, uh, that they should be paying higher taxes to help kind of prop up the ailing shopping districts that are losing revenue to e-commerce. We're not going to talk about tax again, people. Don't worry. That's just I just thought it was worth, worth highlighting. Uh, um, but, but really what I'd like to talk about is whether high street retail for electronics can actually even survive at all given the naturally uh, you know strong relationship that gadget shoppers have with using gadgets to buy gadgets online tom would you like to say gadgets and give us your thoughts on on us uh, electronic retail how it compares yeah, we certainly have have seen the decimation. Well, I, what's what's ninety percent decimation is always a reduction by ten percent. <laughs> what the the nuncimation? Uh, most of it's gone. Is what I'm trying to say. Ten <laughs> percent uh, is left. You could you could angle it that way. Yeah, yeah, uh, right. You know, uh, we we lost uh, Circuit City and Good Guys, and Radio Shack is just a shambling husk of what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Best Buy has survived. And I think part of that was there is still some demand for going into a place and seeing the things that you're wanting to buy, whether you want to buy them there or just kind of see them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Best Buy has been able to navigate those waters quite well, uh, especially by doing things like you know sh- uh, s- selling CDs and DVDs when those were still popular enough to keep it afloat, selling uh, white good appliances, dishwashers, and things like that, where you, you do see people more often wanting to go in and, and look at it first and, and buy it on site. Uh, I, I think there's still room for a fewer number of those what seems to be the trend here and i'm curious if this is happening in the uk as well is the companies themselves that make the gadgets are filling in the storefronts so we have a mall here called century city in los angeles uh, that has now more electronic stores than it did 
say 10 years ago because it has a Microsoft store and an Apple store. I think the Samsung store went away, but it did have one for a while. It has an Amazon bookstore, which has all the Kindles and everything in it. So Yes, you're seeing that gap sort of filled in by these companies who say, hey, you know, we're going to make our money off online. That's great. But we like to have a showroom to kind of gin up interest in our stuff. That is absolutely happening uh, here. We, we, and the Microsoft store is a very good example. Microsoft opened its first ever European flagship store uh, a, a few weeks ago. We, we talked about it on an older episode. And um, and that was in what used to be the old United Colors of Benetton building in Oxford Circus. I mean, I described it in a piece for Bloomberg as being literally a stone's throw from the Apple store. And I do believe if you stood on the very top of the building that the Microsoft store is taking up now and you had a very good throw, you could hit the roof of the Apple store with a stone. I don't know why you'd want Mm -hmm. to. But you could no, and you probably shouldn't. You might be arrested. But exactly, it's a terrible misuse uh, of, of Apple stones. stores are made of a lot of glass. You don't want to miss exactly, and um, and so we are seeing that. We've seen Samsung opening more stores. They've got this new experience uh, facility in, in King's Cross now that I went in uh, a few weeks ago, just before that opened, and that's it's got their big the wall TV in there. You can try the latest phones. You can try everything out, and weirdly, you can't buy anything in it. Everything is there just to be looked at, played with, and touched. And then you go back and you order it online or you order it on your phone while you're standing there. Yeah, they'll help you order it online in the store. I find that hilarious. Exactly. They don't hold any stock of anything in there um, other than maybe if they're doing a promotion or, or an event or something. Other, other than that, it's a case of buying online. But So that is happening here, absolutely. But what's what I think is interesting about your Best Buy comparison is that Best Buy is – uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a massive chain and it's a generalist chain. You know, it's not a specialist mm-hmm. store. Whereas a store like Jessup's, I don't know what the U.S. equivalent is as such, but it is, you know, it is a camera shop. It sells high end SLR cameras, lenses, battery grips, flash guns, uh, backpacks for cameras. Obviously, it sells you know cheaper consumer stuff as well, like little pocket. Uh, pocket cameras, iPhone lenses, all that kind of stuff. But it's a photography store and it's a specialist photography store um, as much as it is a consumer store. But that's all it does. It just does photography things and, and it does printings. And I think it, some of them may, they even do like book printing and framing and stuff. But it's predominantly where you think about going to buy lenses. And this was particular. I, may, I actually felt very bad about this, this this very week because it was only over this last week that I bought... Uh, a, a new lens for my Sony camera. We talked about it on the podcast last week. We just put out, I say we, I just put out an extra message about this lens and about photography. And then I, and it wasn't until after I'd recorded all that and I was planning this episode that I realized that I am, I am entirely to blame, I think, for, for the potential collapse of Jessup's because I- Just you, no one else. I went online and my first port of call was to check the price on Amazon. So I went to Amazon and it was- I don't know what it was, two, a couple of hundred quid. Then I thought, okay, I could get that delivered tomorrow, but hey, maybe I could go and pick it up now. I could go and pick it up on my way, on my way home. I thought, wonder where's got it in. I go to Jessup's because that's, I would say, in most people's heads, if you're thinking about high street cameras, you tend to think of Jessup's, at least in the cities and, and the bigger towns. And I looked it up and they had the lens. I checked the postcode. There was one in stock in a store near me, but it was about 30 or 40 pounds more expensive. And I sat there and I thought, 
okay, I have to go to the store and I have to pay more. And yes, I get it today, but if I just buy it from Amazon, it'll be in the little Amazon locker next to my office tomorrow. And I'm not going to do anything with it tonight anyway. And I really, I'm denied about it. And then I, I ended up just ordering it on Amazon because it got late and I couldn't be bothered going to the store. And then this story comes out and I'm sitting there thinking, I am, I am the poster child for what is wrong with gadget retail <laughs> in the high street. And I did I, I genuinely felt bad about it because I did genuinely think I should go and buy this from Jessup's and support, you know, support a British high street brand um rather than a giant uh cor- faceless corporate entity. Um go and give Peter Jones a hand. But I didn't. I bought it online. I bought it from Amazon and uh Yeah, at least Peter Jones has a face. <sighs> exactly. He's got a face. I mean I guess Jeff Bezos has a face too, so yeah, he has, but I don't know. I'm I'm not used to seeing him as much on primetime BBC Two, you know, <laughs> no television programming. Definitely not. But but you do that. I mean, I'm not alone in 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 that, right? You, I I try not to use my phone when I'm in bookstores because I don't want to I don't want to be seen like I'm just checking for Amazon uh, discounts. I I always buy books from bookstores if I if I can. My brother-in-law, you know, uh, is a manager at one of the biggest bookstores in the country. Uh, chains that is and um you know i know he's probably very anti-amazon but um when it comes to lenses it's a different kettle of fish yeah i i i definitely (laughs) i go into that amazon bookstore and i'll check my phone and i'll I'll, like buy it from barnes and noble and just kind of show it off no (laughs) i uh, i've no i actually have not done that it just entertained me uh also we don't really have as many specialty chains anymore so b&h photo has sort of successfully moved online. They still have physical stores, mostly out east. Uh, but the the photo stores that I know of were all either local chains or mom and pop shops. Uh, and and so it, I'm also not a big photography buff, so I, I don't run into that. But I'll tell you something where I have reversed my trend because I, like you, was in a CVS drugstore wanting to buy some replacements for my little flosser and they didn't have the replacements. And I went on my phone and bought the replacements on Amazon from within the store because I was so frustrated. I'm like, "How you're selling the the little thing itself, but not the the replacement floss? You're, it's ridiculous." Uh, but the opposite of that is luggage. Mm. I have stopped. Not that you buy luggage all the time, right? But I recently needed some luggage in an emergency situation because my luggage had broken, and I decided to go to a luggage store, and they were so helpful. They offered to fix my old one, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm traveling tomorrow internationally. And they're like, great, no, we'll, we'll set you up with, with new luggage, but bring in the other one. Uh, it's probably under warranty. We can fix it for free. Uh, and they were just so helpful that I told my wife, and she's like, well, I want to go there too. So we went down there, and she spent some time. And it, it was a whole different situation talking to someone knowledgeable who wasn't just trying to sell you luggage, but actually knew about stuff and could offer alternatives. Uh, and I was able to buy a couple of accessories that I wanted because I asked about them. Uh, so I will now be going to that place because it's, I don't know, 10 minutes from my house, easy to park at, full of knowledgeable people. I think that's the way forward for for these stores, gadgets or otherwise, which is you need to have expertise and it needs to be easy to get in and out of. And then you can convince some people hey this is this is a better experience but for the things where you're like i don't need help buying replacements for my floss i just need them to be there uh that that's going to be stuff you buy online yeah and i remember actually thinking back a few more weeks ago we have a, a chain 
here called Argos, which is basically like imagine if Amazon had st- well, Amazon does have stores in the US, but you know it's it's it, instead of a website, it's a gigantic catalog of everything that they sell. So imagine printing out Amazon and putting it in a book, uh, and then oh, wow. and yeah. then and then you you look at that, and then you go to the store, and the stores themselves are basically just uh, you know a big space with a counter and a desk, and they have everything in the back in the warehouse, everything in stock they have in there. And I went in there to buy something. I can't remember what it was. I think it was like I needed a, a like a hard drive or something for some reason. And I went in and they didn't have it in stock. And they said, oh, we can have it here tomorrow. And I had this very honest conversation with the guy who came over, who was very helpful in seeing if I found what I needed. And I said, well, I found what I needed. And you said on the website, it's in stock, but I'm here now. And you're saying we do have it in stock, but you can't get it until tomorrow. And he said, well, actually, that's because it is in stock in one of the stores in the local area. Mm. And they will it will be driven over, like vanned over to here for tomorrow morning. But it was just slightly too late in the day for them to do that on the same day. And I said, well, it's not really in stock, is it? You know, I've walked <laughs> here to buy this from you instead of going to Amazon or something. And he was like, yeah, I totally get it. And, and we just had this very interesting conversation about like, what's the point in them even having a store if, you know, they're paying very, very expensive, uh, I don't know, leases and fees to have a building and they don't actually have things in stock that their website says they have in stock in store. It was very weird. That feels like a, a failure uh, to, to update policy. Uh, in the days when stores would either have something in stock or not, they had a competitive advantage to do that because they could say, ah, we don't have it here, but we can get it for you. Early enough in the day, they're like, we can get it for you today. And that was a competitive advantage. But now when you're like, yeah, but I could just order it and have it delivered to my house tomorrow too, that's no longer a competitive advantage and they just haven't updated to to compete with that. Well, if you have a view on the high street, on Jessup's, on specialist electronic stores or on anything, anything Tom and I have talked about or even things we haven't talked about, things we forgot to mention. That's always, <laughs> always welcome as well. Uh, patrons can drop us that in uh, in our pa- in our Discord channel um, and anyone else can send it to hello at uktechshow.com. Well, that brings us to a, a, a certain point of the show that we always, uh, we always come to. I'm going to approach this no differently, but we're going to have a little bit more fun this time. And that's because Text Message brings you all the uh, news that's important from the British text landscape. But let's check in with our friends at, at Daily Tech News Show over in the US and hear what's been happening in the wider world of technology over the last week. Well, this week on DailyTechNewsShow.com, we covered all the Google hardware announcements, discussed why Twitter gives world leaders preferential treatment. I think we may have uncovered the real danger to Netflix, and it isn't Disney+. And Blair Baz from This Week in Science explains why we are sometimes resistant to new technologies, but animals and children are not. All that and more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. That's right. I didn't write that down, and then I didn't say it. So thank you. <laughs> I love doing this live. It's it, We've done it. I think we may have done this to this possibly this is the third time we've done it and any time that we 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 get to the DTNS promo it's always it's always it gives me a jolly good tickle Tom uh to yeah. to, to do that to do that live. Me too because uh I, when I hear it played back 
I always think like, oh man, I wish I could have then talked to Nate after that uh, <laughs> that promo, and now I can. You can. And Al Struthers in the in the chat room listening to his live says, "Ooh, live DTNS advert. Why is that so exciting?" I was <laughs> I like, don't "I don't know. know. I don't know either." But it, it it's weirdly it, it's weirdly exciting. Um, so we'll be back next week, everybody. Look out if you are a Patreon supporter, and thank you very much to all of those who are for extra message, which uh, is in your feed now, and will be another one in your feed. Uh, between now and the next episode going out but from me and on Tom's behalf see you in a week planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.